Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. What's going on? I've made a decision. I made a decision and I need you to hold me accountable to it. Uh Uh-oh. I um, got an update for my Twitter account, uh, my software for the, for the app on my phone, and I have no space to download the new app. Uh-huh. And so I've decided that it's time for me to finally download Instagram, but I need, I need you to hold me accountable. <gasps> <laughs> I think this is a great idea. Our, our profile is looking a little, you know, it's pretty sad right now. <laughs> it is a it's bit only sad. Two- there's only there's only two photos on it. You know, I try to share on our stories whenever we're whenever an episode comes out. I didn't this week because I was all Portland and I was in Portland doing some work. But you know, we're doing pretty good. We have over a thousand followers. In fact, we have one thousand one hundred and eleven followers. That seems auspicious somehow. Ooh. Make a wish or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Uh, but yeah, I I'm confident in your ability to uh, make excellent content. On Instagram. I'm not. I'm not that confident, but. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be something. (laughs) It will be something. Cool. Sweet. Yeah, I'll just go back through my old role of like um, totally random images from around, um, I mean, probably Quebec City. (laughs) So look out for that. I am committed to to doing that. But how are you? How how was uh, your drive home was good and you're back and things are. Yeah. Back. (laughs) Ready for the fall? Drive home was good. Portland to Los Angeles. Uh, For those of you who don't follow me on Twitter, I was, oh, I guess I mentioned it last week that I was in Portland. Yeah. So even if you don't follow me on Twitter, if you listen to the show regularly, you'll know that I was in Portland last week doing some activism work. The drive home was very, 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 very long. Very, 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 very long. (laughs) But we got back okay. Um, and I'm settled in. Next week, school starts. Uh, so we'll see what that's like. Uh, but yeah, I'm here. Everything's good. Amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, before we start, I just want to mention something that's happening in Canadian politics that we haven't delved into very much at all. But it would be pretty weird if we didn't mention it. Um, there's a, a leadership the governor race. general? Oh, my God. Sorry, oh. what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Let's talk about her next. Uh, I mean, yeah, there is a leadership race, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, we've done an episode on the Green Party uh, and we are pretty, like, critical of its existence. Now, this leadership race is super interesting. Oh, my God, Nora. I thought you were talking about the conservative leadership race. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what are you going to say? That there's a black person running and she's probably not going to (laughs) win because it's weird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, I'm sure we will have the opportunity to talk about that at some point. I mean, we really haven't talked about federal politics for a long time, which is pretty amazing. That's true. That's true. But yeah, no, the Greens are also running a leadership yeah. race. Yeah. And the spread of political ideologies in this race is really worth noticing. And so if you're a lefty and you want to hear uh, like what's going on in the Green Party, there are, are at least three people who are running who call themselves eco-socialists. And I am pretty excited about that. And Sandy, I've got to admit, I'm going to join to vote. I know exactly what's happening here. Nora's going to join to vote. She's also going to encourage all of you to join to vote because she's petty. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, 
She has a score to settle, okay? She and Glenn Murray. Mm, she's got a score <laughs> to settle. And I think you all should help her settle that score. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all join the Green Party and not vote for Glenn Murray. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not ready to endorse anybody yet. Uh, there are quite a few candidates. I think there's... I know you're not endorsing Glenn Murray. <laughs> There's about nine or eight candidates. And the only one who I know who have done any work with is Dimitri Lascaris. And he's he's a really strong uh, Palestinian activist, um, Greek Palestinian activist. And... Uh, but there's other candidates that are pretty interesting, too. Um, and there's candidates that are complete fucking garbage. And so if you're interested in voting in the Green Party leadership race, which if you're a leftist, I would, you know, you should. I think, you know, electoral politics are uh, a tactic. They're a tool. And um, and I, I really think people should join. Now, you don't have much time to join. You have to join by something like September 3rd. I might be wrong, but it's like definitely coming pretty soon. And um, and definitely uh, Glenn Murray. Um, sorry, man, but what the fuck? <laughs> I guess, Sandy, who is Glenn Murray for everyone who like wasn't even born the last time he had glory? Glenn Murray um, <laughs> is a longtime Green Party stalwart. No, Glenn Murray um, <laughs> was very recently uh, a part of the uh, Provincial Liberal Party of Ontario and had during his time there, served as the Minister of Training Colleges and Universities, which is the ministry that deals with post-secondary education in colleges and universities. And Nora and I used to work at the Canadian Federation of Students, and while we were there, had many, many run-ins with Glenn Murray. Um, and those run-ins usually consisted of him either losing his shit and doing such things as, like, tweeting his phone number at us like his personal phone number at us and being like call me right now if you don't believe me or something like that uh to just being uh you know a general douchebag about education but the funny thing about all that was way way before his foray into provincial politics he himself was a student activist advocating for uh, no tuition. And so uh, he would try to use that as part of his justification for why we should all understand that he was now doing the right thing when he said that tuition fees needed to go up and up <laughs> because of his history. Anyway, it, it's a long and storied, hilarious history, which I'm sure we've recounted on the podcast at some point before. Uh, but he's basically a giant crybaby who... Um, I mean, I think that's his day job. And I think he moonlights as a politician. Uh, and so, you know, here he is again, moonlighting, uh, making the switch from the Liberal Party over to over to the Greens, uh, trying to ruin someone else's life. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was also the the mayor of Winnipeg, so Winnipeg listeners will be very familiar, of course, with him. I, I do want to just shout out if this uh, you know podcast gets suggested to him, just shout out Cadge, who probably is still working for him. If he's not, hey, still miss you, man, and still have respect for you. <laughs> Cadge, you're the best. Fuck you, Glenn Murray. <laughs> <laughs> We have some folks to thank this week, of course. And so I'll do that quickly because we have a very important episode, I think. 
Thanks so much to everybody who donated to the podcast for the first time or who changed their donation. Of course, if you can't donate, that's obviously awesome. Just share uh, our episodes with your friends. I'm seeing online a lot of people that haven't heard of the podcast that should have, like people saying, oh my God, this is the kind of thing I would, I would be interested in. So, you know, definitely share this among your, your social networks and your friends, your family, your cranky uncles and aunts who need to be told um, what's uh, right and true in the world. Um, and so this past week, thank you so, so much to Cassandra, to Anne, Stephen, Tushar, Genevieve, Sheena, Marlon, Okanagan Summer, Amanda, Hannah, Ebony, and Andrea. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you. Okay, Nora, what are we talking about? Well, today we wanted to do something different. Mm -hmm. We wanted to talk about why it's really important that all of our political demands are achievable and that we have easy victories so that we could do the next easy victory and uh, work with politicians to create positive change in society. Yeah. Because <laughs> politicians are in it for the right reasons, right? They're in it for the right reasons. And also activism is just about feeling good about yourself. So if you make the, the victories... <laughs> If you make the victories super, super small and easy to win, you will constantly feel good about yourself. It's like hitting a like button on Facebook. It's super excellent. Great way to increase your self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in COVID times, that seems like that, that seems like right. <laughs> God, no, that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about, I mean, we're talking about the opposite of that, which is that <laughs> the idea of being reasonable is such a farce. Being reasonable in our asks, being reasonable in the way that we think about um, an issue is such a farce. And it is extremely stifling to our movements. And I've been thinking about this because I can't remember if I mentioned this last week or not. I think I may have. But I've been thinking about this because for so many of the interviews that I've been doing and uh, and even conversations that I've been having and what really sticks out in my mind is this, the very final conversation that I had in Portland, uh, who which was with, uh, I was staying at this hotel and the owner of the hotel um, wanted to meet with, with me and Jenea, who was there with me, to apologize for some racism we experienced in the hotel from her staff. <laughs> And uh, this white woman was then like, oh, can you explain to me all things BLM also? Which was kind of annoying. Oh. Yeah, it was kind of annoying. <laughs> sure. It was kind of annoying. Uh, but I was like, I could see her being open. So it was like, let me try a thing. So it started to explain defunding the police to her. And she immediately said to me, well... I, I really want to learn from you. I really want to understand this, but I need to understand right off the bat. Are you talking about defunding the police or are you talking about abolishing the police? And I'm just so sick of that question. <laughs> I just keep getting it. Right. Because it's not a real question. It's like the, it, what it means with the, with the question that someone is really asking you when they say that or really asking me is, are you a reasonable person or are you nuts? Like that's what that question stands for. That's why that's the first thing right off the bat that she wants to know. It's why it's the first mm. thing right off the bat that most media will ask me about uh, defunding the police. And I used to kind of lowball the question by being like, oh, well, you know, I think 
that I don't think about it that way. I think about like, what can we, you know, like, let's evaluate what's happening right now. And now I've decided, fuck that. I <laughs> answer the question <laughs> by calling it out, by just saying what it is. What you are asking me is whether I'm a reasonable person or not a reasonable person. And that idea... Right. That idea of someone wanting to remain firmly on the side of what's reasonable allows them to completely disregard uh, uh, a perfectly legitimate idea, which may actually be more reasonable overall, uh, because we're, we're like so obsessed with being reasonable that what we end up doing is becoming so unreasonable in the ways that we like... Put ourselves in a cage of uh, of what is like culturally acceptable to us. It's fucking bullshit, man. Yeah, no, I think that one of the 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 realities of our era is that the political diversity that did exist a century ago, or even fifty years ago, or fuck thirty five years ago. (laughs) Seriously, even thirty five years ago. Yeah. It it is so different today that we are all in the same ideological box. And if you are a a radical person, if you are a person that believes that we need to have radical fundamental change, you find yourself up against this accusation all the time. Like, are you are you kidding me? Have you thought about this? That's impossible. Whereas like 100 years ago, we would have all had our own newspapers (laughs) talking about these completely impossible and ridiculous ideas. But we don't actually really have a way to take stock collectively of how centered and narrow our conversations have become. And I think a really good way to see this is, like, look at the debate around whether or not Kamala Harris should have run with Joe Biden. Like, (laughs) who the fuck cares? You know, like, if you're not going to vote for the Democrats because you're Canadian, why are you commenting on that? Like, that doesn't matter. (laughs) It, it, it's a meaningless position. If you are an American and you're voting and you think that Biden picking her is useful in a symbol that's going to, I'm not sure, like, you know, uh, put forward in the eyes of Americans that that a, a black woman can have this role and hell, she might be the president, actually. Uh, yeah. OK, talk about that. That's that's important. But th- we are so ideologically narrow that I saw so many Canadians really, really arguing over her <laughs> as if yeah. it fucking matters in terms of what happens tomorrow right like like what we have been reduced to is this is the symbolic discussions it's important because of symbolism because symbolism is all we have on the left because we actually cannot make real change and you know representation is important but it's important at like five percent of the 100 percent of the things that we need to be fighting for and so, you know, what is what is reasonable is like like literally you can make any argument that anything is potentially reasonable, but it depends on who you're arguing with. Are you arguing with someone who's like an average person who might be open and interested in new ideas or are you arguing with the Globe and Mail? I mean, the Globe and Mail this weekend was amazing because their entire their front page of their opinion section had um, had a, like a profile of all of the last Democratic Party nominations for the last fucking, I don't know, eight years or something. And hmm. uh and the headline was something like, uh, like you know, uh, constant progressive change or something like this. And it was just oh like, God. you folks are out to lunch. Like, th- th- this is the gatekeepers of reasonableness. 
And we, as progressive people with imaginations who are smart and who are able to put forward interesting ideas, we have to, like, work extra hard to allow ourselves the space to be, quote unquote, unreasonable because we are just denied that space in all of the major platforms in a way that did not exist. I mean, you listen to something on CBC in the 1960s, all of the problems of the 1960s included, and it still sounds more progressive than what you fucking hear today. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about, you know, since that conversation I had with this woman and just generally thinking about this issue in my mind, like I've been thinking about all of the other issues in our society that have been stifled because of this like appeal to reasonableness. Like, uh, let's think about climate change, right? What is the most like barring everything that we know about society and like everything that's going on in society? Like what is the most reasonable thing that we could actually do? Um, with respect to climate change, stop using fossil fuels and immediately <laughs> come up with uh, renewable resources uh, so that we can stop fucking up the planet so that we don't like annihilate the human race. I feel like that's the yeah. most reasonable thing that you can do when facing the total annihilation of your species. Totally. Right. Maybe. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would even push that and say maybe we need to start rounding people up. <laughs> right. And right. Then, like maybe like. Yeah, like the but what you know in the, this like false kind of very liberal idea, this very centrist idea, and I think this really affects Canada in a way because can, Canadians love to see themselves as like in the center, the the reasonable ones, right? Uh, because of all of that, what we what we pretend or what we see as reasonable in society is okay. Well, we have to actually come up with a 50-year plan that we never attain, okay? And we have to make sure that nobody ever loses their jobs and we have to make sure that the economy is never, ever touched because, come on, you guys, we can't be unreasonable about this. People still need to make money. People still need to have jobs. Um, and yes, we do have to deal with the annihilation of our society. So perhaps what we should do is do a long-term study and have a 50-year plan um, to deal with this. And that's the reasonable position. Those people who are tying themselves up uh, on bridges and in roadways and trying to stop, uh, uh, you know, me getting uh, to Tim Hortons, these construction <laughs> vehicles from doing their jobs, those people are unreasonable. Do not listen to them. <laughs> like They're only trying to save our entire species. The reasonable thing to do is to make sure that, look, this corporation, it's so big. They employ thousands, tens of thousands of people. It would be so unreasonable to stop them from making their billions. <laughs> like, it's, it's outrageous when you kind of like lay it out like that. But that is what we're doing like I saw I was reading this article this morning about Bernie and Kamala's like first uh they they came out with like some platform point not quite a platform point but like a, a statement that you know if elected they would implement a five-month or six-month um uh, mandatory mask what so thing. sorry what like they would implement a mandatory like everybody's got to wear masks <laughs> mandatory for for five or six months which okay. is like i don't know okay maybe that's a reasonable approach but it's like you guys healthcare. <laughs> like, just, you're looking at a pandemic in the united states where so many people are dying and you, you the first thing you should be talking about is fucking health care yeah I, like 
free healthcare. Like people are fucked. <laughs> people are so fucked out here. Like you should be talking about, um, uh, you know, fucking uh, like housing security. Like, goddamn. Like, <laughs> I, I don't understand a world in which you take a look at everything available for you to say and say, hmm, let's just, you know, we don't want to get too intense on all of this stuff. Let's just, let's masks. <laughs> okay. Masks. <laughs> well, and it's important to point out, like, as you did with the with the climate change example, that actually the reasonable argument is the radical argument. Like, look at the overdose crisis in this country. Pretty much always. Oh, yeah. Pretty much pretty always. Much for always. sure. So, you know, there's there's many jurisdictions in Canada where there have been more overdose deaths during the pandemic than deaths from COVID. And a reasonable person would look at that and say, hmm, that seems like a fucking giant problem. We need to swiftly decriminalize drugs and flood the market with a safe supply, allow people to have access to what are currently illegal drugs. Like, that would make sense. That would stop people from hiding their addictions. That would stop people from using a loan. That would stop people from using dangerous drugs. That would stop people from relying on on uh, drugs entering Canada through ways that are currently closed because of the border being closed with the United States. I, it's like that is the reasonable approach. But somehow we have been tricked into understanding the reasonable approach to solving our problems as being ridiculous or unreasonable. And I think that the pandemic is such an important moment for us to think about this. You know, last year we did a, uh, an episode on how having time off can open your brains up to all of the possibilities and how to make our lives better and, and potentially into radical action. And we've basically had a forced opportunity to do this. You know, even if you're an essential worker, there's still time in your in your week where things are different, right? Where you're forced to try and to, to, to take stock about how things are a little bit different now. And, you know, there was there was certainly some measures that were created by the federal government, like the like the CERB that are would have been considered unreasonable a year before, you know, talking about giving every single Canadian who needs money money. OK, so that was no problem. The, the liberals fucking just did something that would have been, quote unquote, unreasonable the year before. Great. Oh, but it was a pandemic. So, of course, they did. Except like that shows that this stuff is totally possible. And not only is it possible, people really want it. Like we did that episode on where is the left last week. And on it, like I didn't get any feedback from it, which I thought was pretty interesting. No one in the labor movement, no one in the NDP messaged me being like, yeah, you're totally right. Or fuck you, Nora. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> but that's that's the the kind of thing that the the left needs to be doing is we need to be the ones i mean that's what we hope to do with this podcast is like literally kicking down that fucking locked door that liberalism has put in front of us liberalism of course by the liberal party of canada by the conservatives and by the ndp and and telling us that this stuff isn't possible and us like breaking through it and saying no 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 you know what's fucking unreasonable this is what's unreasonable is that the federal government has two pots of money to help people one is the CERB and one is the CEU CEWS SUS let's call it it's fucking I, I don't even like saying that word because it's like kind of weird to say SUS or Qs or Qs let's say okay and so CERB it's like fucking these lazy people won't work and they're on CERB and this person got drugs on CERB and this girl who lives in a basement apartment in Kensington Market in Toronto, which, by the way, no one should be living in any basements in Kensington Market. I mean, that place is cool, but it's not fucking that cool. Uh, she spent her CERB on fucking Botox, <laughs> right? And then what's the... It's like, oh my God, like, we have no future, everybody. Like, let her live. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Seriously. I mean, if she's fucking hotter for it, I mean, who cares? I mean, she's probably hot always, and she maybe she feels better. Like, whatever, right? Fuck, whatever. But the sous or the cues, which is the noble pot of money, the noble money, because that ties you to an employer and that employer has to hire you back because you get 75% of the wage paid for. And actually, if you don't feel like it being 75%, you can just use it all for someone's wage and just reduce the wage by 25%. That's part of the program. It's fucked up. I administer it for my own uh, uh, organization. So I know how it goes. And the cues, of course, has been used to subsidize corporate profits. And so the Hamilton Spectator today reported that Extendicare, Extendicare being Canada's largest for-profit piece of shit fucking organization in long-term care and retirement residences where dozens of people have died. I mean, Extendicare is not the one of the worst. There's others that are just as bad, of course. But they paid out $10 million in dividends to shareholders since April, thanks to the queues. Wow. So the money's wow. coming from the federal government to make sure that people are being like paid. And who are those people? They're personal care workers, right? Oh, some of who have died and who've been given life debilitating diseases or, or after effects because of COVID. Oh, the fuck, they're paying at their shareholders. So that mo- that is motherfucking unreasonable. That is unreasonable. And I wish that if I was talking to that woman in that apartment, I would have been like, you are those unreasonable as the cues, but you're not from Canada. So you know what? I'll I'll, I'll find another example. <laughs> I mean, you can really apply this this uh, kind of analysis to, to any social issue that we have. Like if we think about education, you know, every time that, you know, when we were uh, student activists and we would talk about like uh, the most obvious thing to do to to increase access to education is to make it free. Um, it seems so obvious. And we'd say that to Glenn Murray. We <laughs> said it several times to Glenn Murray and reminded him that he used to say the same thing. Um, <laughs> uh, it seems so obvious that, in fact, we've done it for, you know, uh, kindergarten, elementary school, secondary school. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, if it's free. Cégep in Quebec. Cégep in Quebec. <laughs> if it's free, people will go. Uh, and then... You know, we'd have these conversations where you'd like say that and then people would be like, yeah, but like, can we make it free? I think that what we should do instead is just give people a grant and then a tax credit and maybe spend a bunch (laughs) of money on loans because then it's not like, you know, we're not doing something unreasonable. We're like getting people where we need to like people who really really need it and we we've we've created a reasonable approach no you've created an expensive approach an expensive approach that makes no sense and that leaves us in a place where we have a shortage of nurses a shortage of particular types of doctors um all these other shortages in our society because people can't afford to go to school Ah, just do the reasonable thing and make it free i just (laughs) you know why would you ask about whether We want to abolish the police or defund the police. Just take a look at what the police are fucking doing and end anything that they're doing that is shit. That's the most reasonable thing you can do. And if you've looked at it like I have, you'll realize that everything is shit. (laughs) You'll just create new things. Like It doesn't make sense to stifle ourselves from solving these problems in society. And I think, you know, one of the places where we're kind of seeing this happening also is all the discussions about education and what we're going to do with the upcoming new school year. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, if anxiety was something that you could bottle and sell, I mean, we would be fucking dabbing our necks in anxiety right now and making billions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, there's so many conversations around Us this. parents. Yeah. Well, what are you hearing as a parent? Well, I, you know what? Locally, the conversations I'm having are, are night and day different with the rest of Canada. And partly, I, I had a conversation the early summer. So kids had already gone back to school here, uh, which was a move I was very critical of. And um, and the person I was talking to is a doctor and a parent of a kid in the class. And 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 they were her and another parent. They're saying, you know, well, Quebec has a higher tolerance for risk because we are a society that values kids in a way that like the rest of Canada doesn't. You know, like we want kids to like have independence. We want them to be out. We want them to be playing. And I think that that's probably right. I think that this is a society that 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 places children into its into different locations than on than Ontario and well probably the rest of Canada really. And like you see children in in, in locations that you don't see other places in Canada. And so because of that, you know, people were ruling to send their kids back to school. It was very risky. Everyone was very afraid. But, you know, about 60 percent of kids went back to school. We're going back to 100 percent in the fall with none of the of the um, smaller kind of class pods that they had been that they had promised, which they were supposed to be in groups of six uh, within a class. Now they're like, yeah, it's a bit unworkable. So we're just going to have everyone in the classes. But I'm still not seeing the anxiety in Quebec, like, at all. I'm not seeing my friends freaking about the fall. In fact, everybody is kind of saying the exact same thing, which is, like, get them back to school, get them the fuck out of my house. And, you know, if they're home in two weeks because there's an outbreak, like, at least I had two weeks. The friends I'm having outside of uh, the province, and so that would be, you know, friends I have in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, in uh, Ontario and B.C., people are really freaking out. Uh, and they're freaking out for, I think, fair reasons. But, you know, I, I there is also an element of, you know, do we send our kids back to school at all during a pandemic or do we keep them home? And I, and I think that that's kind of muddying the conversation because on the spectrum of, yes, they should go back to school, there's a lot of options. But when your opinion is they shouldn't go back to school during a pandemic, then the options totally change. And that's an interesting debate. I mean, I'm, I'm open to that debate. I'm open to having that debate. But the, what I'm seeing, and I've had a couple of conversations with people as well, is like just pure fear that the education system is set up to make sure that children will die in the fall. And it's like, okay, the education system only runs thanks to teachers and administrators in terms of, you know, uh, custodial services, secretaries, like other non-teaching personnel. They run the Ontario, the British Columbia, the Saskatchewan school system. And sure, there's not enough money to do what would be the gold standard, which is really small classes and and all of these other kinds of custodial uh, help to make sure the classrooms are always being disinfected. Okay, so then what is reasonably possible? And the narrative, of course, that has emerged is like, well, we'll make private pods that the rich families that can afford it will have little pods. The Globe Mail will focus on that as a solution that will dominate the narrative. And then, you know, maybe the teachers unions will take someone to court. And that's kind of it, right? There's parents groups that are like, okay, we need this improvement, maybe move some classes to this community center, whatever. But I haven't yet seen like a movement of parents and teachers together saying, you know what, we are forcing our classes to be outside or we are we are going to take this class. We're going to divide it into we're going to figure out a way to I'm not sure, like have it half in the schoolyard and half in a community center to help leave open another classroom for this group of students. 
And I think it's a really good example of where reasonableness has become the gold standard that that it's like, well, what do you expect? Stephen Lecce is a fucking asshole and a dingbat and he's never been in public school in his life and he should probably fucking... I'm not sure, be launched into the sun, right? He's the Minister of Education in Ontario. Yeah, fuck, obviously. That dude's my age, and I'd like to fucking elbow him in the face. Like, theoretically, right? Fucking relax, RCMP. And so I think that we we have this problem of people really working within the confines of the system. And we don't have to. I mean, teachers have the power. If teachers are working together, especially with parents, they literally have the powers to tell the school boards to fuck themselves. Because we also know the school board trustees are a bunch of fucking dumbasses. I mean, most of them. I know there's a lot of really great ones. I know Lyra Evans in Ottawa has had some really wonderful victories for the for the Ottawa school board. Um, you know, th- those are possible, but we can't wait for the reasonable bounds of politics to bring to us the solution to what our anxieties are. And so, you know, I know there's small, very small groups of activists in various parts of the country that are doing interesting things. I want you to share that information. I want you to let people know what you're doing so they can get other ideas. But most importantly is don't be reasonable. I mean, be reasonable on what is what you should be afraid of. Be reasonable about what you should not necessarily be afraid of. And fucking make an educational back to school system the way that you want it. It is totally possible. I mean, if every single parent in a class demanded X, you would have it. You would have it regardless of what fucking Stephen Lecce thinks. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I just want to put a finer point on kind of what we were talking about last week. It's like for the teachers unions, for for the people who are represented by unions who are working in education right now, it's like you have even more power to be unreasonable this is an unreasonable situation (laughs) this is you know you know we are in a pandemic people are quite reasonably afraid for their lives afraid for going back to work and so you don't need to go through the motions that you went through the last time that there were cuts or the last time that the government wanted you to do something that you didn't want to do. Like you can, you can step it up a bit. You can open up uh, the window of possibilities because when else could you really do it? I mean, you can always do it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's part of the argument here is that you can always do it, but you can really fucking do it when you're faced with an unprecedented situation such as we are right now. Like, this is the time for creativity. This is the time to to go forward with these arguments that may seem unreasonable on their face for a regular situation or for a boring liberal society. <laughs> but like, you know, <laughs> come on, this is this is the time. I'm not saying that I have the answer for education at all. I don't know. I don't know what the most reasonable answer is. What I am saying is that the discussion that's happening right now is stunted and it is in a box. It's like literally the only things that people are talking about are masks, um, how many people are going to be in a class and how often the children are going to be in the class, whether they're in a class or not. And then these stupid rich people pods. Right. Like that's those are the only things that people are talking about. It's like, is that all we got? That is that is the limits of the human mind. In coming up with a solution for this. Oh, That's yeah. it. Wow. Like we are so fucked on climate change. <laughs> like, if that is <laughs> if that is the limit of the human mind. Like I know that there has got to be more than that out there. And I can only imagine 
I can only imagine. I have truly experienced, in fact, how much this like appeal, this um, attraction to reasonableness uh, stunts the, 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 the public conversations that we can have. Like, gosh, we have, um, you know, this example of the CBC trying to, you know, just, just before the, dis- the discussions around defunding of the police really blew up, trying to prevent the discussion of defunding the police from even being published or even being talked about publicly, right? And it's like, I can only imagine how many other places, think tanks, fucking, I don't know, um, not-for-profits have decided parties, have decided that they can't discuss defunding the police out of some sort of, uh, of like, fealty to the almighty reasonableness it's crap like we have to discuss these things it's like if we want to solve these societal issues we cannot be constrained by reasonableness reasonableness is what creates this box that is inescapable it creates a situation where we think oh well oh the people who pick our food are treated basically like slaves and uh, have have zero rights, ah, well, I guess that's reasonable because if it wasn't, uh, we would have addressed that by now or whatever it is that people tell themselves to justify things like that. It's, it is unfucking reasonable. We'd pay more for our vegetables. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Well, that's what it is. We would have to pay more for our vegetables and maybe that's unreasonable or whatever it is. The point, you know, the point that I'm trying to make <laughs> is that um, this, 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 commitment this attachment to never acting outside the the box of what is normal of what is acceptable is part of what recreates and recreates and recreates our social problems and that is obviously exacerbated right now during the pandemic yeah maybe for the rest of the podcast we can talk about like how hard it is to be radical and and resist this narrative because you know, listening to you, I'm struck by like just how often you are confronted with co- with critics on 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 these ideas. Like, I was saying, "Yay, Ontario teachers, you guys have power!" And this random fucking Twitter account was like, "No, they don't." I was like, "Okay," and, she, and she's like, "My my husband's a teacher. He has no power, and he's immunocompromised. He's gonna die because of COVID." And it's like, "Okay, I don't know who you are, but what the fuck? Like, what? That's you know." And then she's like, I work in community activism. I know how social change works. Like, but this is impossible. Like, we've tried everything. Like, it is, it's very grating, <laughs> to say the least, to be confronted with that when you talk about, like, maybe, maybe we should force our politicians to do better. But um, it is hard. It's actually very, very, very hard to always have an opinion that you then find, like, made fun of or mocked or told you're an idiot or told that you have no right to have these opinions or conversations or you're uneducated or whatever the fuck. And, you know, it's funny because on the education thing, like for me personally, I mean, I don't care what people fucking say to me. So fuck you. And if you listen to this podcast, you also should not care what people say to you. (laughs) But on the education thing, like I have a master's of education and so do you, Sandy. (laughs) Like, It's true. You know, it's like actually on fucking paper. Here is my credentials. And I can tell you, um, uh, you know, this guy, oh, Nora, you think that people have education outside? Uh, do you know we live in Canada? And I'm like, <laughs> like, wow, uh, yes. Go fuck and 
<laughs> yeah, go fuck yourself. Did you know that uh, for time immemorial, people dressed such that they could be outside in Canada all four seasons? Like, do, do you think we hibernate in the winter? Like, what the fuck? You know, but we're so disconnected from reality because of what reasonableness has told us is correct. That it does feel scary and difficult to challenge this and to find the right arguments and to find the courage to, like, tell someone to fuck themselves because actually we can change society. We actually can shut down the fucking tar sands. And if people are going to be put out of work, we could create new kinds of programs to get people to work. And Jason Kenny can be put onto a catapult and launched into the sun. That is <laughs> actually possible. But it's like, you just have to build the catapult. Even that shit that that guy said to you, it's like, Canada's cold. We can't learn outside. It's like, are, are you so, like... Let me blow your mind right now. What if we, what if we changed the school year, shifted it, if it was too uncomfortable <laughs> to learn outside in February? Like, come on. Like, there's, like, actual solutions to, like, <laughs> literally everything that you could say. Like, you know, the, you just have to think outside the box. We are not constrained by anything because our society is created by us. So if it's the case that... You know, you know, I've heard teachers talking about how, God, we are not ready to start in September. Well, if we are not ready to start in September, then teachers unions should be saying we are not starting in September. Just shift <laughs> yeah. the school year. Like it is possible. It is something that can be done. It can be worked out. Like why not just think beyond these constraints that we have been told we have to work in, like, or get a coat. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Either way, <laughs> a good coat. heat lamps and open air fucking tent. Like, I don't know. Right. Like there are Those solutions for your hands. Yeah. There's solutions for every, everything. As someone who ran a little school outside of like tent city, <laughs> fuck, uh, when we were occupying outside of the police station, let me tell you, you can bring children through and have them learn things in the cold. They like snow for some reason. Anyway, like, you know, it's like, it's possible. Like, these things are possible. And we just, we have got to stop constraining ourselves. It's almost laughable once you get out of those constraints and kind of look at it from the outside. It's almost laughable. Like, what kind of response is it's cold outside? <laughs> It's just there is like uh, yeah, a yeah, thousand, uh, yeah. there's a thousand different solutions that you could come up with for that. And it's like, yeah, I I agree with you. It can be very very difficult to hear people over and over shitting on your ideas. And it's like, ooh, I mean, maybe you know, like a good example again is this defunding the police. People have been shitting on that forever. Like, and we've been saying it forever. It's like, but you can still train yourself to have the wherewithal to think beyond um, the constraints that society thinks is normal. And, you know, if you're having trouble with that, you can always go back to an undergrad in Canadian institution and run for the student union because that's great, <laughs> great training for people um, <laughs> of the ilk of Justin Trudeau and uh, Morneau and all those types of people calling you names and making you trying to make you feel as small as possible. They'll even sue you. Uh, to try to make you feel like shit. And, you know, once you go through that training, there's literally nothing that could get you to give a shit about the crap that people throw at you. 
Yeah, no, totally. And and I think that, that that's a really important <laughs> like example of how shitty the people are that use reasonableness. It's it's actually very helpful because, you know, a couple of episodes ago we talked about how do you predict the future? How do you how do we know? How do Sandy and I know that certain things are gonna happen? And the answer is because we have paradigms in our minds, thanks to various experiences we've had, where we can predict how someone's gonna like, you know, react to something. And so someone who responds instantly with this reasonableness like question is an asshole is <laughs> someone who you are going to have to fight in the streets and just accept that, you know, like, I mean, it's, isn't, don't you find Sandy that it's like such a helpful way to divide who to like actually engage with and who to just write off because they are not worth your time. Oh, absolutely. And this goes back to another topic that we've discussed on the podcast a couple times, which is um, argument and how important argument and conflict is to shaping a really good analysis. It's like, look, if Nora says to me, okay, I say defund the police. And Nora says, well, do you mean defund the police or do you mean abolish the police? And I say abolish the police. And then Nora says, well, fuck you then. We're not going to have this conversation. And I say, please explain yourself like commit to the argument and explain to me, like convince me why, why that's a ridiculous position. And Nora says, cause we need police, Sandy, come on. <laughs> it's like not worth engaging. <laughs> okay. But if, if instead Nora says, defund the police, I've never heard that before. It sounds nuts. Can you please explain yourself? And I say, absolutely. And I come up with a whole bunch of things to say. And Nora's like, but you didn't think about these things. And we go back and forth and have like a commitment to a constructive argument, to a constructive conflict um, that helps to shape both where, you know, whatever I was missing, what I didn't think of, and now Nora is like more educated on something that I know something uh, a lot about. All of a sudden, we've both broken through whatever molds we were in and have had a robust conversation that ultimately strengthens um, uh, the, the movement generally and what's best for people generally because we've been able to think through things that either side of us uh, never thought through before. But if she was so attached to reasonableness that she could not go through that exercise and force herself to argue her points because... God, I'm just attached to a normal society and being normal and our normal society just oppresses people. So just accept that, Sandy. Well, like who wins in that situation? Oh, rich white dudes. Got it. <laughs> right. <laughs>